Well, hey guys, welcome to episode 38 of the podcast. I hope that you guys had a great Easter weekend. I know that it was a little bit different, but uh, hopefully you guys made some great memories and had fun with your family. I want to welcome you to this episode, which is sponsored by Sermonary. Sermonary is your one-stop shop for all of your sermon needs. They have popular templates, or you can design your own template. With one click, you can turn your sermon outline into handouts, PowerPoint slides, pro presenter slides, and you can send it to your tablet. They have sermon outlines for all of the books of the Bible, illustrations, and even media is available. Sermonary is all cloud-based, so you can access it on all of your platforms anywhere. You can get started today with a free trial by going to renewedleadership.org slash sermon. I'm excited about this episode where we talk with Justin. He is the lead pastor of Landmark Church in Purcell, Oklahoma. He's going to share about his story, how God brought him through a great season of tragedy. Justin lost his wife, a child, and his mother all in just a short few weeks. But Justin shares about how God walked him through that season and how God has blessed him with a new wife and a child. This is a great episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, welcome to another episode of the Pastors Roundtable. I'm your host, Ryan Latham. I'm here with my friend, Justin. And, uh, well, Justin, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate all that you do. And uh, I know um, this podcast is making a big difference for a lot of pastors. So thank you so much for your investment into so many different lives. Yeah, absolutely. So, Justin, just for some context, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your ministry journey, a little bit about who you are and, and what you're doing. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Mississippi called Crystal Springs, Mississippi, about 20 miles south of the capital, Jackson. And a preacher's kid began to preach when I was about 13 years old in our youth group and things like that. Came to Bible College in Bethany, Oklahoma in uh, 1999 and uh, ended up working for a ministry um, right after that in their church planning and revitalization department. And, uh, And then in 2008, a small town in Oklahoma, Purcell, just about... 45 minutes south of Oklahoma City, um, called and asked me if I'd be interested in trying out to be their pastor. So um, pretty small congregation and uh, one of those things I wasn't sure I loved what I did. I traveled and worked um, putting on church planning um, conferences and helped in a local church and loved it, but just felt like that's what God was calling me to do. And uh, I was 27 years old, single at the time, and uh, but I went down there and began to pastor and been there 12 years and we've seen God do some incredible things over the last 12 years of the church, move locations and just seeing some growth take place. And so anyway, just uh, excited about kind of the journey of what God has taken us on the last 12 years. Yeah, so tell us just a little bit about Purcell, a little bit, give us some context of just kind of the the city itself. It's a small town, about 6,000 people, and it's about 20 minutes south of Norman. Uh, Norman, I think, is probably the third biggest city in the state, so it's got a pretty good size city pretty close to it. Um, but it's a rural area, um, agriculture area. Actually, Purcell is, one time was called the quarter horse capital of the world. So a lot of ranches outside of Purcell, um, farming type stuff. And uh, But anyway, just um, now, great Now, Purcell, people. the one when I'm driving on the 35, yeah. it has like this huge like shoeing school, like horseshoeing school. Is that Purcell? That's just north of Purcell. Okay. So that whole area, though, a lot of ranchers, a lot of, um, I mean, million-dollar horses have come out of Purcell area. So... Uh, I didn't have, I didn't, I had no idea because if you're driving down the interstate, you don't see 
the horse farms, you see that place and maybe one or two, but uh, if you get out in the countryside, they're everywhere. So very agriculture, very rural, um, kind of just, you know, good old uh, rural America type. Some good place. old boys. Exactly. Now, exactly. now, Justin, for those guys that are watching the videos, is trying his best to wear some camo. That's right. I got camo on today. He, he told me at breakfast, he said, you know, the boys, the, the guys don't consider him really a country boy. He said, but I got own camo. That's right. I said, I don't think the country boys consider what you're wearing to be it's, camo. Right. If you buy camo from H&M, it's not considered <laughs> real camo. So that's, that's the, I didn't get it at, you know, local tractor supply place or something. Yeah, I don't so. think so. so. You're not getting a lot of points on the camo. Exactly. exactly. Okay. All right. So tell us a little bit about uh, your time at the district office. You were doing missions and all that kind of stuff. Tell us just a little bit about that story. Yeah. Um, I really had a great time working with church planners, um, just helping them, you know, see kind of a vision of where they were going. So we worked with them before they planted the church. So we would put on church planning schools and uh, we would go to different cities and, um, and, and do these week-long schools. And so just really seeing, helping them get an idea of what they, how they wanted to reach their community, raising funds, that kind of stuff. And then we also worked in revitalization, so worked with churches that needed to grow. So there was a whole process we had. So the guy that I, his assistant, basically, he would go in and, and put on these conferences. And uh, so anyway, we just really got to work with a lot of um, up-and-coming leaders, really enjoyed um, seeing them plant churches, work with them, help them become successful as reaching their community. So it's a really great time of growth. Okay, so you work with a lot of church planners before they even start. So I know there's a lot of guys that are listening, watching right now that maybe have thought about it or maybe sure. are in the midst of it. So just some tips for those that are thinking about church planning or maybe are in the midst of beginning to, to do their plant, some tips that you learned along that process. I think one of the biggest things is knowing the area that you're wanting to plant the church, that before going into that area, spending some time there. Um, some of the most successful guys that I've seen do it maybe move to that area long before they actually plant the church just to build relationships, get to know the area. Um, I think any kind of model that you have, in my opinion, you need to filter it through where you're at, your location. Um, and Contextualization. so, exactly, exactly. Because of the way that we reach people in, it's funny, Purcell, Oklahoma is different than even 20 minutes up the road in Norman. Norman's a more urban setting and, um, college town. Exactly. The way, with, and so, OU. yeah, so we have to think about all those kind of things. How do we, you know, how do, how do we get this to work? So I think anybody that's planning a church, know your area, know your target. I mean, we obviously want to reach everybody, but many times you do have kind of a target audience. Um, and so, so know that. So with that, okay, so. Say I'm, I want to do a church plant. You're saying, go in, spend some time. What am I looking for? What am I trying to gather in that process? I think you gather what that community needs, what that area. Maybe you're in a, a large city, but you're going to go to a certain area, a certain suburb, or certain. Find out what that looks like. Um, even it's funny if you go to big cities in America, different communities in that. They may even have their own dialect, their own slang. I mean, the way that they deal with, say things and deal with things are different even in the, the context of a, of a major city. So just figure out what is it that works in this community? How do we reach people? I think that's something um, very major. And uh, so anyway, just kind of, I think, figure out where, where you're at, where, where God has called you to be, and what that looks like in that area. I, I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, that's great. Now, what about, you talked about fundraising, that kind of stuff. So what what were some tips there on fundraising? Um, obviously, most people go straight to hit up their family and friends. I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> like, let's, go, let's go ask them first. But uh, I, one of the things I think is just building relationships in the, in the community where you're at and finding some people that maybe 
maybe they've been they haven't been a part of a church for a while, but they're looking to help. You know that they have a vision, and, there, and there's people. Um, I believe you know we never want to take from other churches, and I get that. But there are certain people that God has blessed, and I believe that um, I, I know several families that they literally love helping churches get started. So that's kind of their vision. Like we want to help you get started until you're up and going, and then um, we're going to move on to help somebody else. So I think just finding some connections and relationships with people that that's their calling to do that, and and then knowing what you're trying to do. I think so many times we ask for money, and people want to know what am I giving toward, and if you don't. Have have an idea, if you can't tell them this is the vision, then they're more than likely not going to jump on board. They'll jump on board with vision. So I think it's important just to know this is how we're going to reach this community. This is what we're called to do. And uh, when you spell that out, a lot of times people can see it. It's the, you know, the scripture says, write the vision and make it plain that those that run can, can run with it. So they know they can see the path. And so I think it's important just to have an understanding of what, what you're doing. Maybe, maybe if you're going to a community, you're saying we're going to try something different than other churches and being able to just articulate that and explain it. Those are great. That's great advice. Um, so you recently were married. Yes. What yes. about a little over a year ago? A little over a year, October um, a year ago. And uh, then found out in March we were going to have a little baby and uh, have Mr. Benjamin was born December 4th. So my, it's easy for me to remember my, my wife's birthday is September 4th. Mine is November 4th and his is December 4th. So we, we stuck with the the theme of fours, so there you uh, go. We can kind of, I can easily remember his birthday, but uh, that's good. He's growing, um, healthy little boy, eight weeks old um, right now, and so we're still trying to get sleep. That's something sleep is very precious right now, um, and so he he has slept through the night sometimes. Actually, when I, I was taking care of him recently, because my wife wasn't feeling well, he slept through the night, woke up once. When my wife took over, he, he, he woke up the next time uh, six times in seven hours. Oh. So anyway, I think he feels sorry for his dad and says, uh, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah, he's like, I, I'm, I don't know how this guy's going to do with me, so I'm just going to sleep. Oh, that's awesome. But uh, anyway, he, it's, it's, he's a huge blessing. Um, my favorite thing is just when he, when he wakes up, he's in a good mood, watching him, getting him to smile and spend time with him. It's a, man, it's a great blessing. Yeah. So... So you started your ministry as a single guy. Yes, yes. Uh, working at the district office and even yeah. as a church planner yeah. or actually revitalization yeah, you called or, uh-huh. take, you know, um, talk about that just as a single pastor, right? Um, yeah. What was that like? Uh, you know, um, it's interesting because over the years having to kind of change once you get married and have kids, uh, I can honestly probably say I was a better pastor in some ways single in the sense that... Um, when I say better, I, I, maybe that's not the best term, but I think what I mean by that is there was a lot of things I could focus on. Um, people would call and say, could you be a part of this event? Could you do this? And I wouldn't have to call and ask anybody and see if we had something going on. I could look at my calendar and uh, make my own decisions. And so I, I was able to focus a lot on um, you know, on the church. I mean, it was basically my entire life. And so I, mean, I think even Paul says that, talks about you know those that when you get married, you have to give yourself to your family, which you should. So it's been a it's been a dynamic watching um, a change as I've as I've gotten married and had kids. Yeah, the, the thing that's interesting is, um, you know, even in that scripture, it talks about like if you're weak, right, it, right, it's like if right. you can't handle it, right, right, then right. get married, right? right, right. And okay, so maybe this is totally off topic, but I think sometimes we almost make it almost as if if you're not married, right, and especially if you're not married in ministry, right, that like you've missed it. Sure. Sure. That, that like, oh my, are you really able to be in, in ministry if you're married? I mean, right. maybe you got something. Sure. I, you know, one of the things 
Um, it's interesting around the church when we're hiring a staff member or something, I've had people come and say, well, are they married? And it's almost like they assume they have to be. And I remind them, you know, I, I youth pastored uh, a while, a long, about 20 years ago, but I youth pastored single. I was a lead pastor single. And so, you know, I just remind them, you remember when I came into this, matter of fact, I was single, I mean, for the most, most of the time, the 12 years, I've been single for most of it. So just reminding them of that. I love being married. Um, my wife is, in, is incredible, and I love having, you know, helpmate, and she helps out, in, you know, just around the church, and then we're a team around the house and all that kind of stuff. I love being married. But um, when, it come, you know, when it comes to pastoring, I can see where a single person can give themselves in ways, and I encourage anybody, you know, don't get married unless you feel like that's what God is calling you to do. I don't think singleness, I think we've, we've, we've made this idea that singleness is almost um, a stain on somebody's life, and that's not true at all, man. Um, singleness is, is a great thing. It's a beautiful thing, and I think if, if that's what you're called to do, just keep enjoying it. Do it. Spend time with people um, and enjoy that, the freedom that you have to be able to do those things. It's not, uh, I, I think, in church, we've made it where you have to be married, and I'm a big proponent. Uh, matter of fact, several of our staff members are single because I just tell people, look, they're doing what they're called to do, and I think it's a blessing. Yeah, I had a professor in college who uh, she she was like I am called to being single. I right. mean, it was like a right. calling that she sure. really walked in and felt like uh, this isn't a thing like the Lord hasn't provided. Right. I was like, no, like I'm called to this. Right. Um, and she just walked walked in and was right. was really uh, confident in sure. that. Um, and so I think that that's just a good word. So um, let's let's take a step back. Uh, you know, at breakfast you shared, and even um, you've come to our church and shared your mm-hmm. story. Um, so, uh, you know, there was a, was a season where there was some, some hard, sure. tragic sure. time in your life. And so um, can you just tell us that story, um, and then let's just kind of dive into that for a little sure. bit here. Um, once again, I found myself single and, and pastoring, and the church was doing great at the time. Um, we had moved to a new building, was growing, everything was good, but I, I did want, want to have a family, want to be married, and so um, just kind of began to say, okay, Lord, I, you know, if you want me to be married, I don't know where I find a pastor's wife. I mean, where do you go looking for a pastor's wife at? So, uh, I mean, I guess nobody should go to the club. I always make the joke that, like, you know, <laughs> you don't go to the club and ask, but anyway, but um you know, where do you find it? I, I always, this is kind of corny, but I always, I had one pickup line. Hey, baby, you want to come back to the parsonage? That was kind of my one um, pickup line. But anyway, it didn't, didn't work very well. And so, but um, it's one of those things where I just felt like, so a young lady began to attend our church. And uh, so we, we met and it was one of those things that just felt like it was what, you know, I mean, God had answered that prayer. And, and so we ended up getting married in November of 2014. And uh, it's funny because at the time I was 33 and I felt like 33 was old. And so because of that, we decided to go ahead and try to have kids, you know, right away, not wait. And so by January, we were pregnant. And uh, and so we had gone in January of 2015 to have um, an ultrasound just to hear the heartbeat of the baby like you do, not really to see anything, just kind of to hear the heartbeat, see what I was going on. And so we... Uh, went in for that procedure or went in um, for the ultrasound and they, they said we can't hear a heartbeat. That was on a, on a Friday. And they told us you've had a miscarriage and the baby um, is, is no longer alive. And so it was obviously devastating. I mean, just, um, you know, because we, we were just excited about that, thinking 2015 was going to I remember I got up at the end of 2015, the last Sunday or 14, to announce about the baby and everything. So I said, 
Um, you know, 2015 is going to be this amazing year, and, uh, you know, all this stuff is ahead of us, not knowing what was really ahead. <clears throat> and so, anyway, we ended up, that was on a Friday, found that devastating news. On Wednesday, um, had to go in for a procedure. It's called a DNC. You had to go in for that. And so, um, went in for the DNC, and the doctor came out and said, everything's good. Come back in three weeks and see me. Everything's fine. You can go back there and see your wife in the recovery room. So me and her mom walked back there, and immediately something was wrong. Her body was seizing up, and uh, they, they put her on. They, they tried to give her anti-seizure medicine, and nothing would help. So they ended up putting her, putting, putting, excuse me, putting her on uh, like a basically in um, self-induced coma, or not self-induced, but um, put medically her in a coma. Induced, medically yeah. induced, yeah, thank you, coma. And so um, people began to pray and just really, um, you know, cry out and just really believe that, you know, we were praying for her healing. That was on a Wednesday, and uh, people started coming to the hospital, visiting, never forget. On Saturday, there was about 70 people in the waiting room. Wow. Um, but anyway, four days later, she passed away. So we have been married 12 weeks to the day she passed away. And then in between that, my mom, who had served faithfully as a pastor's wife for over 40 years and um, just an amazing woman of faith, she had ovarian cancer and had been battling that for about two years. And so through that whole process, um, that for the next few weeks, I would go back home. I'm an only child. So I'd go home and try to t help take care of her, um, come back, preach on the weekends, do that kind of thing. But eight weeks later, she passed away. So in nine weeks' time, I lost uh, a child, my wife, and my mom. So, excuse me, I'm going to get a drink of water. Oh, man. So it was very, obviously, I mean, a very devastating time, a very difficult time. Um, something you're really never prepared for. Something that um, I don't, you know, growing up in church, I mean, and, and, and hearing stories about God bringing people through things and, you know, always believe that kind of stuff, but never really, never really had anything like that happen to me. And uh, it was one of those things for me that I really realized later on. It's kind of funny. It's a Mumford & Son song, and it says, hold on to what you believe um, in the dark. And, and basically what, what the Lord kind of showed me for me was that all my life in the light, he had been teaching me what it was to hold on to him. To, um, Hebrews says that hope is the anchor of our souls, both sure and steadfast. And so really... In the light, God had been teaching me how to anchor myself to him. And when the darkness came, mm. I was able to hold on. And I was able to, there was days I would wake up and um, didn't know why I was even alive anymore. Um, you know, for me, um, my, my wife had a, a son as well um, from a previous marriage. And so I was helping raise him. And he, was, he, he went to be raised by his grandparents. Um, he, he was still in my life every other weekend, still is. But it was one of those things where I went from having a house that had, um, you know, people there and, and movement and all this stuff to being by myself totally again. And so if it wasn't for the goodness and the grace of God during those times, um, it took me, I told you at breakfast, it took me about a year and a half to come out from under the fog of it. It was almost like I'd walk around like a zombie in a lot of ways. But thankfully the church kept loving me through that and allowed me to pastor through that. Yeah. So, I mean, here you are, a single guy, um, I mean, even 33, right? So, I mean, there had to have been some times, I'm assuming, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but sure. I mean, I just have friends that are, that are getting that age right. that are thinking, man, why, got, why don't I have a spouse? Why don't right. I have, right? right? They're questioning that, you know? Am I called the same? Am I ever going to get married, right? Sure. So, I'm sure there was moments of war that you right. had that, right? Oh, yeah. Um, then you get married. Right, right. And, and 12 weeks later. Right. 
Yeah. So you're it, walking through this. Right. And I think the thing is, you know, you think you do things the right way as far as, you know, you wait to find the right person um, and then you get married. And, you know, and I, I mean, growing up, I'll, I'll, you know, I feel like there's times we were taught not to question God. But the truth is, I think God's big enough to handle our questions. There was times that I would find myself screaming in the floor, just, you know, God, why? Um, you know, and I, and I, and I, it's one of those things I don't all, if we'll know, always know the answer to all those questions, maybe here on earth. But the truth is, I can see out of this how it's helped me to minister to people in ways that I couldn't before. Um, didn't have empathy. I mean, I, I was, I would sympathize with people, mm. but I had no context of what they were going through. And uh, just realizing that God has allowed our church to be a place of healing, not, we believe in physical healing, but really just healing people's hearts that people come to our church that have gone through things. And it's the kind of thing where I never tell people I know what you're going through because every situation is different. Yeah. But at the same time, just saying, I know what it's like to lose something like that. Um, but I can say now, five years later, that one of the scriptures, let me back up, one of the scriptures that God gave me, I actually read this at my wife's funeral. Um, so it was like within days of this happening, I found this in Job. And... I told you before, I hated the book of Job before um, this happened. I, I just think thought many kinda, people do. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of depressing. I mean, who wants to read about some dude losing everything, you yeah. know? And so, but in Job, I think it's 23, it says, he says, I look one way, God, and I don't see you. Mm. I look another way, and I don't see you. I look my right and my left. I can't see you anywhere. And I felt that way many days. Mm. I mean, I'm pastoring people. I'm getting up on Sundays and preaching about faith, but I'm still like, God, I don't always feel you. But Job says, but he knows the way that I take. Mm. And when I've come through this, um, I'll come out pure as gold. And I had to hold on to that, that God, even when I didn't know where I was at, you know where I was at. And it was that promise that kept me going. One of the, the mantras that I had during the time, and somebody gave me something from my office that has this, but I would say, I choose joy. Wow. And joy had to be a faith choice every day that I had to wake up and choose joy. Joy wasn't something that was always evident, but I had to make a choice to choose joy. And yeah, it's like, you know, you wait all these years to get married. God, why? Um, why did it happen? And once again, I don't always know the answer, but I can say from that, um, my, my ministry to people has grown stronger That's you know, through that. So talk to me a little bit about, you talked about that, um, the difference between like sympathy, understanding, and empathy. Right. Talk, right. talk to me about that. I mean, it's just much deeper levels of connecting with people and how sure. that's, uh, unpack that a little bit, uh, and then how's that helped you? Well, I think, you know, before, I mean, if somebody loses somebody, you feel sorry for them. I mean, you genuinely are sad for them. Um, but you're not necessarily moved emotionally in a way. And the Bible says when Jesus looked out on the crowds, he was moved with compassion. And um, I think empathy is the kind of thing to me where I feel like now when somebody goes through something, I mean, I, once again, I genuinely felt sorry for them before. It wasn't like just a, a passing, you know, sorry that happened type thing. But now it is this thing where you almost feel it in your gut kind of thing. It's like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's but, almost like you relive a piece of that moment. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I think in more than anything, you, re you remember the feeling of loss. You know, when my mom passed away, um, I was a, I mean, I didn't live around my parents for 16 years because I had moved to Oklahoma, but I could talk to my mom every day on the phone. I was a, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm unashamedly a mama's boy. I love talking to my mom on the phone. And, you know, whenever she passed away, I never forget, I went on a trip right after that, flew in, and 
she was always the first person I'd call at the airport. Hey, made it back safe. And I picked up my phone to call and, you know, nobody. And it's one of those kind of things where now when somebody loses a parent or loses a spouse, um, you know, it's one of those things where there, there are times I'll tell them those kind of stories just to say, you know, once again, you know, not that I know exactly what you're feeling, but I understand where you're at and you have a, a understanding that you didn't have before you have that. So you have, you have almost a way of helping them hopefully navigate things because you've been there. And that's my whole thing. If I'm going to go through something like that, I wanted it to be able to make a difference for other people. Um, if I'm going to have to go through that, I want it to be something that other people are able to learn from. Yeah. So how is that? I mean, you talked about how it's helped you in the church too. Sure. Uh, I mean, walk. I mean, you, that must have been just tough days. You're, you know, you're going home, and, and Monday through Saturday, you're it's down. Sure. You're, sure. And you're having a hard time. But then on Sunday, right. you got to come up, and you got to be the pastor, right? right? right. So how are you? How do you navigate that time? Being real. Sure. Being authentic. Right. But still leading. So right. how did you lead through that time? I think for me, um, one of the things I, I I didn't want to hide what I was going through. Um, I think sometimes as pastors we can you know we don't want people to know maybe the struggle because we don't want to be vulnerable or whatever reason we don't want to be to be used against us or whatever the reasoning behind it is. Um, but it's one of those things where I felt like I needed to grieve publicly. That part of my healing was being able to and help other people see this. So, you know, whether it was working into sermons um, or just, you know, in conversations, but I was very public about what I had dealt with. And I would say there are times that I honestly, there was times I didn't know if I even wanted to live, you know, not, not, not saying anything extreme with that, but there was just days I woke up and say, Lord, why am I even alive? What's the purpose of me even being here? And so I was public with that kind of stuff. Once again, I didn't let it, it wasn't like every single sermon was that, um, but I would, when glimpses. I was, glimpses, exactly, exactly. I think that's important for people to, people to know, um, you know, and, and to be part of that journey. I saw people that um, felt like, one of the, the images that a friend of mine told me about was from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when somebody grieved, they would go sit in the ashes with them. They wouldn't necessarily say anything. They would just go sit in the ashes. And that helped me so much. I told people publicly, I don't need you to have the right answers for me. I just need you to sit in the ashes with me. Mm. And so there were people that text me from time to time and say, I'm sitting in the ashes with you. It was just that idea of I'm here with you. Um, and that's what I needed. And it helped me because I think before as a pastor, I always felt like I had to have the right answers. And, you know, you go to the hospital and somebody passes away and you've got to be able to explain theologically what's going on. And I've realized through this, people don't need, um, you know, all your, they don't need answers. They just need somebody to stand there by them and say, man, this stinks. I love you. I'm sorry you're going through this. We're going to do this together. And so understanding that kind of helped me leading as far as leading people. And then publicly, like I said, you know, I, I still had great, I mean, wanted to have sermons of hope and faith and all of that. But there were times just saying, this is what I've struggled with, and maybe you relate to this. And I think weaving that into your messages, leading through something like that, um, one thing it helped me to heal, but it also helped us as a church to go through this together. I bet it just made you so much more relatable to your people. And, uh, I mean, that's something that we, it's obvious, right? I mean, you started, you told me when you first got to the church, um, you know, about 40 people, right. this town of 6,000 people. Uh, here you are 12 years later. Uh, and I want to dive into this for a little bit. Now you're at, what, about 400 or so. Right. Uh, 
just recently went to two services. Right. I, that's got to be just a big part of what you could say, quote unquote, your success is the fact that you are able to relate to people on such a deeper level and that you are real and you're authentic and um, that you're vulnerable, right? I mean, you've led through this time. I mean, even uh, I, I'm assuming that the church was just, I mean, I saw on social media, right. it seemed like the church was just ecstatic when you got remarried. Sure, sure. And, sure. and just ecstatic when uh, you find out, oh, man, here comes your child. Right. And at the birth right. of your child, I mean, yeah. it just feels, I got the sense just, having known you from kind of afar and social right. media, that there's this sense of like, um, it's not just a church celebrating their pastor, but it's like right. our son, our, our right. you know, it is, is it, it, like this redemption moment right. in your life. Right. So I don't am I, just unpack that for me a little bit. No, I, I mean, that, that's, that's one of the things I held on to that God was going to restore things, that I believe that, that God, I mean, reading in Job one day, you know, God restored to Job, and I, and I feel like God said, I'm going to restore to you everything that you've lost. And and so part of that, it took me about three years to get to a place to where I was prepared to, you know, be married again and date and that kind of stuff. But um, it was amazing. I told you at breakfast in January of 2018, um, I began to really, okay, say, okay, Lord, it's been three years. I'm ready. Um, to be to date again, can you help me out? You know, I, once again, I'm coming back to you because I don't know where to find a pastor's wife again. And so, uh, if it worked once, it, exactly, exactly. That was in January. Within March, um, I'd met a young lady through some mutual friends. And uh, right, Justin, you need to start like a pastor's dating because like, you've do. got these mag, you got these like a miracle timelines yeah. of of Lord, I want, and you just bring, you know. Well, hey, I, I thought about trying pastorsonly.com. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> Either your prayer life is awesome or you're, you're on to something here. Right, I'm not sure yeah, which one it is. Yeah, maybe I need to look into that. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, tried, I tried to figure out something. I, I tried pastors only, but I'm the only one that signed up. So <laughs> we ended up canceling that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was really, it was amazing. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that when God does things, I believe he does things well. And when he, when he brought Sarah into my life, my wife um, that I married just a year ago, it was just amazing how he knew exactly what I needed, what the church needed, and uh, he, he did. And, and the church has celebrated that. The church has walked us, wa I mean, watched us, watched the redemption take place. And uh, you're right. I mean, the church celebrated us being married. It's been um, an incredible thing. And, and, and thankfully, you know, my wife, Sarah, she understands everything I've gone through. So as far as wanting me to be able to get my story out there, to be able to help other people, you know, part of that. And uh, and then when Benjamin was born, I had somebody yesterday make a joke about he needs a little blue check mark by his name on Instagram. Um, <laughs> because I tell him all the time, he's eight weeks old, but I say, buddy, you are loved. And he really is. He's loved by so many people. And I, I think a lot of that is because people have watched from afar. Um, some of them very close, but they've watched. And I had a lady over in, in the UK on Twitter the other day, never met her, don't know anything about her. Um, she just made the comment. She said, I've watched your story from, you know, whatever other country, I mean, thousands of miles away. And it's amazing to see. And I had no idea somebody in another country like that even knew who I was or what was going on. But she just commented and said, I've watched your story and I love the redemption that's taking place. So I, I want my story to be a story of hope that God's not done with your story yet. Whether No matter what it is, it could be a loss. It could be just mistakes you've made. Um, we, we have a lot of recovery ministry at our church. We just opened up a women's center. That, so we've got right now 11 women that live there. It's an eight-month-a-year-long program that deals with uh, drug and alcohol addiction and, and other addictions as well in their life. And so we're a big church of second chances, of hope. 
that God's not done with you yet. And, and I just want my, story, my life to be a, a testimony of that, that whether it's a loss in your life or it's a mistake you made, that God's not done. His grace and His mercy is there to help you get through it. I think social media gets a bad rap all the time. Sure. Right? Sure. It's so many negatives. But isn't it awesome how you've been able to uh, leverage, not intentionally. Right, right. Very right. unintentionally, right. just being real and authentic with your journey and your story, right. how that, you didn't even know. Sure, sure. Is blessing people around the world, literally. Right, right. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I do I do think social media, obviously it's the kind of thing, it's uh, it's neutral, it can be good, be used good or bad. It just yeah. depends on what you choose. You can be positive on there, you can... Um, you know, be negative and, and cause uh, division and all those kind yep. of things. But um, I do think it's when, when we do leverage and use it for the right reason um, to glorify God. And, and honestly, I'm, my personality, I, I'm, I'm kind of a jokester. I, I mean, I have weird stuff comes in my head all the time. And I use social media just as an outlet to be goofy, to be honest, because yeah. I just want to be real with people. I mean, obviously, we, we use it for good reasons, too. But um, I think there's so much negativity in the world. I think the world, a lot of times I'll, put, I'll post pictures of Benjamin laughing and just say, you know, you need, you need a smile on your timeline today kind of thing. Um, and people connect with that. And, uh, you know, Sarah was laughing just last night. I videoed him laughing and smiling and put it on there. And she said, this boy's got 100 likes in 10 minutes, you know, kind of thing. But I think it's because people... They, they love to see, number one, they love to see happiness and joy, um, you know, happening for others in a lot of ways. But then also, I'm thankful that people have walked through this with me. And I want them, I want them to be in his life because I want them to be able to celebrate all that God has done. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, so good, so good. So, uh, Purcell, okay, yeah, so yeah. smaller town, um, 30 minutes or what you say, about 15, 20 minutes outside of Norman. Yes, yes. Um, Norman's not a huge city right you know it's kind of a suburb of oklahoma city um so it's kind of a suburb of a suburb of a you right. know so basically right. it's a small right. town yes six thousand people you go in um 40 people um over the last 12 years you've done some amazing things not just in your church location but as a, a part of the whole city talk about some of the things that you've done some of the groups that you're a part of because uh, you really are, you see yourself as much more than just a pastor of a local church. Right. But you're part of not just even, a, you tell me it's not even just Purcell. Right. But that right. it's your community because sure. you've got people that drive in from other cities right. to come. So talk about some of the things that you're doing, some of the groups that you're involved with. Right. Well, in, in, a, in rural Oklahoma, or probably rural America, but, you know, you have your county seats. I guess it, not just rural, but anyway, but especially when you go to out in the, the country areas, you have your county seat. So it tends to be kind of a place where people go for uh, work or uh, go grocery shopping, whatever. that. And that's what Purcell is, kind of a regional area. Um, we're in a county called McLean County. and then, But then right across the river from us is Lexington, which is about a mile over, two miles over. And it's a small community of about 2,500 in Cleveland County. And then you've got Washington 10 minutes from us, which probably has 700 people. And you've got a small town of Wayne. So we're regionally located. So we have people from all the schools. Um, our youth pastor um, has to go to multiple football games or basketball games because you know, we have kids from every school represented many times. And so it, it is kind of a regional area. Um, but I'm big on – I, let me say this correctly. I didn't set out to be the community pastor or whatever. That wasn't like I tried to do that for attention. But um, I've come to find out that a lot of pastors are just almost intimidated or nervous or, you know, they feel like I'm just called to my, uh, my, my flock or whatever, my group, you know, my church, 
I'm right here and nobody else. But um, I think God has called us to have influence. I really believe if a local church is doing what it's supposed to do in the community, the community should be uplifted. I believe that um, we should be involved in helping crime go down and employment go up. And I mean, I believe that, you know, the kind of the lift of the city. And, and so for us, we believe in that. So we started years ago when we had about 60 to 80 people. We started a back-to-school event. We give out free school supplies. Um, and we used to do it on the corner of our old church, blocked off the city or the streets and did it. We now partner with the Chamber of Commerce, so we do it in downtown Purcell. So they let us on the first Saturday in August, they let us block off the city streets and we bring in um, you know, all kinds of climbing walls and stuff for kids to do games. And Okay, but talk um, about that because you needed, you needed permission to yeah. block off the streets. Right, right. right. Which right. for the average youth pa- or pastor, right, or, or um, you know, that's kind of a hard thing. Well, how do we even talk to? We right. got to talk to the mayor. Right. We got to talk to the man. But you just casually had a conversation because you were involved right. in right. this group. The, what the chamber? You said? Uh, well, at this point, that that thing, I, I, we're part of the chamber of commerce, but also the yep. Rotary Club, which yep. is just a civic. You know, most most towns are going to have the Rotary Lions. Kiwanis, but you didn't need to like whatever. try to find him. No, try I mean, to get to I, right. schedule. Try to introduce sure. yourself. You you have already been consistently involved right so you just right. casually yeah I just talked to the city manager one day and said hey we were at our older location then and I said hey we, we have I mean we were we had 15 parking spots that was our church we literally it was landlocked and so um, I just went up to him at Rotary one Wednesday and said hey um, can we can we block off the streets for what I want to do and he said well let's go look at it because he wanted to make sure it wasn't interfering with anything but he looked at it and said yeah sure and so from that we've been able to build um, relationships where you know with different people within the community and and I, I think being involved in those groups is important it's really just relationships I, you know I didn't set out I've been the Rotary president actually twice in 12 years and the Chamber of Commerce president but I didn't set out to do any of that it's just kind of building relationships and being there and people see your your willingness and your faithfulness and then uh, mo- mo- honestly most places are looking for help uh, you know we're always looking for volunteers in the church and these civic groups are always looking for somebody to volunteer. And, uh, you, you know, you might not can do everything, but if you can show up and say, hey, you know, whatever you're doing, I'll help out with this. I think people will begin to see your seriousness about it. And a lot of times they'll ask you to be a part in, of the leadership of it even. Yeah, it's being involved in those. You're also on the hospital board, right? right? Yeah. Um, you were the citizen of the year one yeah. year. Yeah. Um, you know, and so just being involved in those little things. And right. so when you do have, it's, you know, it's that bank account principle, right? Like you're, right. you're making exactly. all these investments sure. in, and then when you want to make a withdrawal, can we, can we block off the city? Right. They're, they're, they're saying, sure. Right. We right. know you, we trust you, we yeah. believe in you. Um, it, it came around again when you guys wanted to open the, the, the Hope Center, yes. right? Yeah. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that, that story. Because yeah. you said people are emailing you, calling you. How'd you raise the money? Right. How'd you get this right. done? And the answer again, comes back to your, your long relational investments. Right. Well, one of the things um, for us, because of like Rotary, I go to, I sat by a district judge or a, by one of our judges for 12 years I've been in Rotary. And so, and, I, and I'm always very careful. I will say this to anybody building those relationships. I don't set out to um, build relationships to manipulate anything. I'm very careful about that. We, the, the police chief was my neighbor and he goes to our church and I don't, you know, if I was ever to get pulled over, I don't call him and say, hey, can you get me out of a ticket, you know, kind of thing. I'm very careful about, um, because I don't want them to feel used. And yeah, that it's kind not of a stuff. strategy that you set out to say, well, I'm going to 
do this move to this move to this move. Right, and I'm exactly. Gonna, I'm going to network with this person, this person. You just want to be involved. Exactly, And right. through that has opened up these doors. Right, exactly. So our district judge goes to Rotary, and I talked to her one day, and I said, look, you know, I told her kind of what we're doing with the Hope Center, and she said, we desperately need something like that. We'll work with you. So um, Oklahoma is at one time, I think it's changed a little bit, but very recently it was, it led the nation and really led the world in the incarceration of women. So more women were incarcerated in Oklahoma than anywhere in the world. And so, um, you know, just trying to figure out how can we, how can we make a difference? We have three men's group, two what they call sober living houses and one rehab center that attend our church, but nothing for women. And so I met a friend of mine that started a thing called Hope Center Ministries. And so um, we were, the thing was we were going to raise $100,000 to help them. They come in, buy the property. They, they actually run it. Um, the girls, the, the agreement is the girls go to our church. They bring their families. So it's us being able to minister to their families. And then they do a few things, clean our church and that kind of stuff. But anyway, so we were partnering with them, but we had to raise $100,000. Well, I'm from a small okay, town. So, so now what size is your church at this point? At, at that time, we were probably running about 250. Two, so 250, yeah. small town. Right, right. A hundred Right, and 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 we're not a church that is. I mean, the Lord blesses us, but we're not super wealthy. Um, once again, we deal with a lot of people in recovery that are, maybe don't have employment, that kind of stuff. So um, the the funny part was they asked me how long will it take you to raise the money, and I said, "Well, do you want a faith goal or a realistic goal?" And he said, "Well, what's your faith goal?" And I said, "Probably six months." And he said, "Oh, the guy said, oh, I think he thought I was going to say like." you know, a couple months. And I said, but realistically, probably a year. This was in March of 2019. So I said, you know, um, it'll probably take us, you know, a year to do it at the end, at the end of March. And uh, he said, okay, I can tell you that wasn't the answer he wanted. But uh, my, first, my first place to go was to the Rotary Club. And uh, I didn't preach a message. I just, I just talked about how we can make a difference in our community and how a lot of times we find the problems in our community, but we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't necessarily uh, are willing to be the, the answers or the part of the solution. So I said, how can we be part of the solution? I said, some of you in here, I didn't ask people to raise their hands, but I said, some of you have dealt with family members, kids, grandkids, um, nieces, nephews, whatever, that have been addicted to drugs. How can we make a difference? And so I just threw the idea out there Nobody said a word to me there about it. I mean, they said, you know, great idea. Nobody said anything. But a couple of days later, got a call from one of our local businesses and uh, got uh, two checks equal in $10,000. And that was um, the people don't attend our church. It was strictly just, you know, we want to be a blessing um, to what's going on. And uh, it began to catch on. And within six weeks' time, we raised $100,000. So by the end of March, by the beginning of May, we had all the money raised um, for our Hope Center. Now, that's blessing the community, right? Yes, yes, yes. Now, you're yeah. also involved in a uh, recovery group. Yeah. Uh, you go out and what, speak there yeah, Monday, Monday nights. nights. Yeah. Um, and you're, you bring those people in, too. Yes, yeah, they, they bring, um, it's a rehab center called Rob's Ranch. It's pretty well known in Oklahoma, a 90-day treatment facility for men. Um, and so it's uh, they do a great job. I've been going out there about six and a half years on Monday nights. And they bring the guys that, um, for the first 60 days, they are um, they they don't have passes. So for the first 60 days, they bring the guys that are there. So it kind of always rotates. Um, but we have that group that comes to one service. We've got another men's group. And then, like I said, the, and then the, the girls come to our second service and bring their families. We A couple weeks ago, we baptized six of the girls. And then the, the cool part of that was one of their, one of them has two boys that wanted to get baptized. They've been coming to church, so we were able to baptize a mom and two boys. So a family is getting baptized So through that. So the church is growing. 
He's yeah. gone from 40 to 50. At what point? Oh, and at one point, do you guys even started outgrowing your your original building, right? And had to move. So talk yes. about that moving process. What that was like? Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I'll say that I've learned over the years because I'm a very uh, driven person. I want things to happen quickly. Patience is not my favorite word, but I've learned when it comes to the things of, of, of God and it, really that timing is everything. And we outgrew our, our building and we couldn't get any bigger. And people were trying to beg us to build, go build, go build. But I, I just, I didn't feel like that's what, I didn't have a clearance, really feel like that's what we're supposed to do. So um, we, we prayed about it and there was a building in town that a friend of mine pastored but they were in a place where they, they were looking to kind of, um, I, I didn't know it at the time, but they were just in a place where the mortgage was, you know, kind of a lot, that kind of thing. And so they were looking to switch. And somebody told me, hey, they may be willing to do this, but I didn't want to call them. I felt like if it's what God wants, they're going to contact us. And so i never forget one day we were having a women's event, and his wife was actually catering the meal. And he called me, and I thought it was about that. And I answered the phone, and I said, hey, we've got to get you a check so you guys can get the food. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I thought you were calling me about that. And he said, no, I, I, was, I wanted to know, are you interested in buying our church? And I almost veered off the side of the road because I've been <laughs> driving by that church for a year praying about it. Um, so we went from a, a place that would hold 120 with 15 parking spots to five and a half acres, a church that holds um, 300. We have stadium seats. I think it's kind of a weird number, 284 stadium seats. But then with chairs we bring in, we can hold about 300 in there. And, uh, and so, you know, our facility more than doubled um, the potential to be able to do things there. And so it was just amazing how God's timing was there that we, you know, we didn't get ahead. We didn't try to, you know, just push. We just waited. And God's timing was, was perfect in that. And so we, we've grown from that. So we, we started there. We had about 100. And uh, this past Sunday, we reached a goal for a non-special event Sunday. It wasn't Easter, Christmas, that kind of thing. Um, and we had right at 400, I think like 402 or something like that. So. I heard people say that, that we're, we're often really good at hearing God's voice, but not really good at hearing God's timing. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's, I love that, yeah. You know, so, yeah. so yes, we want a new building. Right. Yes, we want to open a new campus. Yes, right. okay, but, but when? Right, right. Right, so, right. so when? Um, so then you, you, you go to this new building, you start growing there. Right, yeah. And you start hitting lids there. Yeah. So I love what you talked about. You know, you're an extrovert. Yeah. You love people. Right. You love hanging out with people. And so... Uh, talk about going to two services and what that was like and uh, your experience there. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm one of those kind of odd people that I like, you know, if somebody mentions somebody's name, like, oh, yeah, they're related to so-and-so. I mean, I, I can tell you, I didn't grow up in our area, but I just, I, I, that, that's, I'm just kind of weird like that. I love people's stories hearing, you know, and, um, and so as we've grown, it's been hard for me because I don't know everybody's name. I mean, I don't even know everybody's name, but I don't know everybody's stories. I don't know all that. And I've, I've had to be careful because I know if I do things the way I want it, it really will hold us back from what God has for us. Um, because just because I'm very relational, and you know, I want to, I want to keep it a certain area. I mean, a certain size, so I can know all that. And so, um, as when the Hope Center was coming in, the buddy of mine that actually he does church consulting too that started the Hope Center he told me I'm not going to let you have a Hope Center unless you're going to go to two services he said I know you won't be able to hold it and I'm thinking man I mean you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on me but he was right he told me you'll never break 300 unless you go to two services in your facility because we would get up to 280 go down to 230 get up back and forth 
And uh, so in September, we started, we went to two services because the Hope Center was opening in November, wanted to get things ready. And so went to two services and uh, I'll tell you about that part in a moment as far as the feeling of it, but he was right. I mean, since then, there's been a very few Sundays we've had over three, I mean, had under 300. And so um, the two services has been just a great for us, but for me personally, everybody prepared me for the practical part. Get extra volunteers, make sure you got parking, um, you know, prepare yourself to preach twice. I mean, all of that kind of stuff, all the stuff that they teach you. Um, I was ready for all of that. We, man, we had that stuff ready. I wasn't ready emotionally. Nobody told me. And so I'm texting friends of mine that have multiple services afterwards. And they're like, you know, great job. How did it go? And even some of them, I'm like, why didn't you tell me? And they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, I, I was literally almost depressed that night because not everybody was in the same room together. Yeah, I think you said, uh, someone asked you, how did it go? And you said, it went great. I'm depressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's exactly what it was. And, and, I, and I, literally because not everybody was together. And it was so hard for me because, you know, I, we just didn't have the same dynamic of everybody in the room. But, um, but the, the awesome thing is as we've begun to grow, the room's filling up, and uh, I, mean, I see the need. So I understand that. But I, I think for me, I had to get I had to get used to that, and it's still hard. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I do this thing. It's kind of probably old-fashioned, but I literally walk off the stage if somebody else closes, and I go to the front door, and I shake hands as people leave. Um, I don't stay out there the whole time in between service. I'll shake hands for five or ten minutes, then I go prepare for the next service. But then afterwards, the second service, I do the same thing just because I, I want to connect with people. I feel like, you know, people... Um, I don't want, I, we live in a celebrity culture and I don't ever want to try to, I'm not trying to build my name to be a celebrity pastor, but at the same time, I think some pastors go to their office and they don't, they don't ever really build that relationship. And I think people just want, they don't, they don't need to know your phone number even, but they just want to know, Hey, I got to talk to my pastor today. I got to shake his hand, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. So I think that you mentioned the celebrity pastor. Yeah. Right. I mean, like it's just, it's a, it's a thing. Right. And um, there's this glamour of kind of like having a name and having right. a size. So for those that are pastoring in, in small cities, right. right, small town, America, what do you lean on? What, how do you fight that? Yeah. Well, the truth is, if you're in a, I mean, growing up a preacher's kid, I understood when we went to eat lunch, for instance, on a Sunday, my, me and my mom would sit there and look at each other. My dad would go around and shake hands with everybody at the restaurant. Not everybody, but everybody he knew at the restaurant. So we're sitting there just waiting to order till he finally sits back down. So I grew up in a family in a dad that was very well known in our community. Um, and so that part, I mean, for me, just that kind of comes natural as far as just, you know, talking to people, those kind of things. Um, I, I can't hardly go to grocery store anywhere. You don't see somebody, you know, that you know. Um, I think part of it is, though, if I, part of it is being honest, because the truth is the more people you know, I think in a lot of ways, the Bible says he who has friends must show himself friendly. Mm. And the more friends you have, the more people expect you to, you know, certain things. So I think for me, it's being realistic about it. Um, I think everybody likes the idea of being a celebrity pastor until you realize I can't go anywhere without people talking to you. And so um, I think it's one of those things that keeps you also in a place of humility because I realize, you know, number one, I think for me, it's always not, not being 
um, not try to make fun of myself all the time, but it's also just realizing, you know, I'm, I'm just a normal person and all of us are. And I think if we're not careful, we try to get this, you know, go to our head, look at me, people know me. Um, the truth is I, I try to be realistic. If I wasn't, if I lived in Oklahoma City, not everybody would know me like they do in Purcell. And so I think being realistic in a small town that, you know, you may be kind of a big shot there, but the truth is um, you drive across, you know, drive 30 minutes. People probably don't know who you are. So I think it's just being realistic and, and, and not letting it go to your head part of it and just realizing, but also with, um, you know, attention and all that comes responsibility that, you know, people, people want your time and attention. And so I think it's just being kind of realistic and not letting it get to the place of your ego where you become, you think you're somebody because of that. Yeah. One thing we talked about this morning was that, you know, when you're in a large town, large city, um, you know, even Oklahoma city or LA, Dallas, often, you know, you're just one of these many, 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 many people, right? right? But like in these small towns in America, you can kind of own the place. Sure, sure. Right, and you can sure. really make a huge difference, not just in within the walls of your church, but in the entire city. Right. By being right. On, in the Rotary Club, on, right. you know, being part of the, the city council, you know, all of these things that sure. you can really make a big difference right. in your entire community and not just within your own church. And so I just, I just love that, uh, that thought of just, Hey, we can really make a huge difference. Right, right. Yeah, kind of the idea you can be a, it's easier to be a, a big fish in a small pond than it is to be, you know, um, a, a small fish in a big pond. Because if you go to, I, I can, now, the grace of God, who knows what would happen if I was in Oklahoma City. I'm not, I'm not limiting what God would do. But I also recognize that, um, you know, in 12 years we've been able to affect the kind of change. And a lot of it's because we're in a small community. And um, I encourage pastors, you know, get out. If you're in a small community, go. I mean, I'm not saying I, I go to Norman to, you know, to shop or whatever. I mean, there's a mall here. Or we go to, you know, grocery shopping here some. But do a lot of stuff in your community. Go out to eat in your community. Go grocery shopping. Go to basketball games. Go to football games. Just, you know, be seen. I think there's something about that, just being able to be seen and, and realize, hey, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm, I'm here just like you are. And I think people can relate to that better in a small community. So you've grown a ton in your church. Um, what were some of those strategic things that you've done to go, you know, you've had to change a, bu- a bunch, obviously, right. um, to go from 40 with just you. Right. To now 400, two services, staff members, right. new location. What were some of those mile markers, those things that you changed along the way? Right. I think, you know, um, when, we, when we began to kind of bump up against the um, 200 barrier, for me it was realizing the way I led had to be different. That, um, once again, I'm very relational. When I was single, um, I mean, the most minute surgery somebody had, I was at the hospital with them. I mean, it could be something where they were there 15 minutes, you know, but I was going to run by there and pray with them. Um, and as much as I love doing that kind of stuff, I realize I can't do it. Now, we're still in a small town. I still, maybe not every pastor does this. I still do hospital visits. But once again, um, you know, it, it, it has to be different, some different things because, of, you know, if it's a major thing, I'm there. But um, part of it's just little realizing that I had to delegate some things, that my leadership style had to change. Um, and so for us, it was adding staff members. When I first started, like you said, it was me. Saturday nights, I'd be over there uh, flipping bulletins in the copier to do front and back. You know, I mean, old school, um, you know, copy the front, flip it over, copy the back. I'm folding bulletins. Um, And then we, you know, we added a administrative assistant two days a week. And then, um, you know, we eventually added another staff member. And, 
you're involved in helping churches find you know staff members, so you understand this. I never I was told this, but I never understood it. I was told if you get certain if you get staff members that you can grow by so many people. You know, I, I never really when, when we added our first staff member, we were at about 120, and within a few months we grew to 200. Wow. I mean, it was amazing how just the the because we had now we had somebody else that could help help take part of the the pressure and the load off. And, uh, and and just help, and, and we were able to do more things. Um, before I had another staff member, we didn't have much video type stuff going on. Um, I had another staff member, so for us, it was adding video announcements at the time and, you know, sermon um, intros and all that kind of stuff because I had somebody else that could do that kind of stuff and and free me up to do some things that I felt like I was better at. Yeah. And so that really began to change. And then really just structuring for growth. Um, it was like, it was realizing that, we couldn't handle more people. Um, we had a huge back door, huge front door and back door. They would come visit, but they would never stay because we had no structure to get them volunteer, get them volunteering, mm. serving. We had no no way of doing that. And so, for us, it was finding a model where we could, you know, really plug people in. So, you know, connection teams and um, all that kind of stuff. So before it was just basically, you can go stand at the door and shake hands if you want. You know, that was kind of it. You know, you can go serve in our kids department. That was kind of, but now we had a a flow of having that happen. And uh, so really just structuring for that. And then we recently just added a full-time youth pastor. And he's only been on staff a couple weeks, but even just doing that, we're already seeing Mm. a bump in in growth. Um, and so I think, you know, I encourage people, number one, I, I know that, you know, it depends on the size church. Financially, you, you might, I can do everything. For us, it was a process. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, our youth pastor at one time, we had a different youth pastor and, and he worked one day a week with me. And uh, he worked for a local business that would give him one day off. So we had staff meetings that day and we paid him for that one day. Um, that's all we could afford at the time. Yeah. And so now we, we got a staff of three full-time, um, several part-time, and then we've got an administrative assistant that's there four days a week. But I think it's just, you know, little by little. Don't try to do too much at first. Just like we talked about timing, just kind of go with it and and, and see it happen. Um, some stories will be those miraculous where, you you know, you grow from 100 to 500 overnight. But I think more realistically, it is, it's taking us time. But I will say this about slow and steady growth. I've noticed the slow and steady growth, they, they tend to stay as well. Mm. You know, it's not this overnight thing where they all come at one time and then they go other places. It's been a slow growth, but they've, they've, they bought into the vision and stayed because of that as well. Yeah. One thing I'm hearing um, that you've mentioned a few times too is a lot of the growth barriers were in you. Right, yes, yes. That you were the lid. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah. I want to go visit everybody. Right, right. I want to... Right, and that you you actually did, like you right, actually wanted, right. and then even that you said that you waited. Well, I think it was like almost a year to go to two services, right? Because you were just, man, I I want everybody in one spot. Right. I want everybody in one room. Like I want I want to be able to connect with everybody. Right. So talk about that the coming kind of breaking through those those even mental thought right. barriers within yourself. Well, I, you know, it's kind of like I always think of the children of Israel that. You know, you want everybody to go with you that can. You know, you want as many people. I mean, they're in the wilderness, and like you know, we, we, we want all of us to be able to do this journey together. Like you were, and that's kind of. I mean, for me, just being a. I guess my heart is a pastor, um, and so I don't want to leave lose anybody. I don't want to. You know, um, I don't want to leave sheep out there and and just go and do my own thing. I want everybody to get to go together. But realistically, not everybody's going to follow where God has for you next. 
Um, not everybody's going to go with you there. They just they don't they don't want to. They can't handle it, whatever reason. Um, and it was in me. It was it was one of the reasons we didn't go to two services is because I didn't want to lose a group of people um, of, of one of our rehab centers. I didn't want to lose them because they they're such a vital part of what we do. Um, but the truth is, I didn't go to them. I did kind of mention a couple times, but I never went to them and said specifically, "Can you tell me what service you would go to?" And so I just assumed they'd go to the second one, and they have to be out by a certain time. And so, um, but it was funny the first time we had it, the first Sunday we had two services. They came to the early service, and they've never stopped. <laughs> so I mean, we we could have gone to two services long before that had I known that. But it was me. It was in me. I was just so scared, nervous, whatever, pulling the trigger. What is it going to look like? What is it going to do to our church? Um, now, we've had some people that don't, I mean, honestly, if I'm being honest, there's some people that just don't like it. They say things have changed. You know, we don't we don't like two services. We don't see you as much. Um, and that's hard for me to hear because I'm a people person that, you know, but I have to I have to realize we have to do what's best for the kingdom, what's best for the majority of people, not just a few people. Yeah, which has got to be tough. It is tough. It is tough. But the... Uh... Yeah, I mean, you've got to see that uh, the Lord's calling you to go to services, right. and clearly, I mean, bringing new people in. Sure, sure. So, um, what are some of those big rock things that you guys are doing? You've talked about in the early days. You know, your 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 part time guy had one day off, but right. I'm sure that those meeting schedules have changed, things like that. And so, what are some of those big rock moments, those big meetings, or things that you do like every week? What are some of those? We. Uh, I do believe in rest. I mean, I think that we are in such a driven culture, so much going on. So we obviously, um, we take off on Mondays. I told you before, it's kind of old school, but mainly because on Fridays, my mind is thinking about the weekend and uh, my sermon. And But on Mondays, for some reason, I can kind of shut everything off. And um, and so for Mondays, it's kind of my Sabbath. Um, and and for, all, for our staff, it's that way. Office is open Tuesday through Friday. Um, but we, we now have regular staff meetings every week. Um, we meet with our bigger staff because we have some volunteer staff we meet with on a you know more of a monthly basis. Kind of go everything go over everything with them. Um, for us, it's a, a big planning thing every year. Um, we do a lot of sermon planning to, as far as. Um, it helps me so much because we still do a Wednesday night service. Being in a small town, we still have Sunday morning, Wednesday night. So a lot of times I've got two different series going on. Maybe on Wednesday nights, it's more of a teaching type thing because um, I love evangelism, but also discipleship. So I use it for leadership and discipleship on Wednesday nights. So, but it helps me to be focused. If I don't know what I'm gonna, if I if I don't have a topic I'm gonna preach about or a book of the Bible we're going through, then um, studying is so much. You know, it's hard just to kind of have a broad thing. So I try to have sermon series and you know teaching series to kind of help me focus. So for me, it's you know on, on Tuesdays we do um, staff meetings. We do regular like. Staff means where we just look at the calendar, go over things, look at everything. Um, but we also do like staff development. So once a month, it's more of an in-depth. Um, we're going to spend a full day doing staff development stuff, reading a book together, whatever it is, trying to you know kind of help develop our personal lives as well mm-hmm. as people. Um, and then for me, it's usually between my meetings, it's you know studying. Thursdays are usually my big study days for Sundays. Um, I try to have all of my, my scriptures and everything done, my notes done by Thursday so that the media guys can have everything. Um, and so anyway, just kind of just helping develop. For me, it, I, I've never been a part of a church that had a large staff. Matter of fact, the church that I, I pastored before or was youth pastor at, um, I was about the only staff member. 
And so, in the church growing up, my dad's church, it's a great church, but they, he just didn't, never had tons of staff. So nobody ever taught me how to lead staff. So it's kind of one of those things, I, I have to listen to a lot of podcasts. I have to try to, you know, ask a lot of questions of people, how to, because I want to lead our staff the right direction. So part of that is a learning process for me as well. So you're talking about reading books with your staff. <clears throat> Let's dive into this. I want, I want uh, if you can, twofold on books. Okay. All right. So personal staff development is one side, kind of leadership, right. staff development, right? But also books that maybe you, that helped you get through the, that season of loss. Right. Maybe some books that, that you read that helped you, or maybe some books that you recommend now uh, on both sides of those. So kind of leadership development, personal okay. development, staffing, whatever. And then also like people who are going through seasons of loss, if you can. Right. Yeah, one of the books, this is an older book now, but it really changed um, how we deal with volunteers and helping our leadership um, was uh, the book Start With Why um, by Simon Sinek, I believe. And, and uh, that book really helped us as a staff to understand if you can give people the why, they'll buy into it better than just, you know, I, I was terrible about giving them the what and the how and here's what you need to do, here's how you're going to do it, but not really giving them the why. And that book was really revolutionary for us to help to start to see, okay, when we talk to people, this is what we're going to do. Um, you have you know books that have been around for years, Good to Great, um, Jim Collins, I believe, and, and books over the years. One of the books that I've read recently, and I don't even know the author's name, I should know off the top of my head, but the book is called, I believe it's Canoeing the Mountains, and it's this idea of Lewis and Clark and how they had to learn the journey that when they went back west, they didn't know what they were going to be facing. And it was a lot different than they thought and how they had to navigate. And so that book has helped me, you know, facing new things. How do you navigate through that? So that's been a good book, um, just a, a leadership type book. Um, of course, I've always been a big John Maxwell fan, just, you know, leadership tips, yep. those kind of things. Um, on a, on a, just a spiritual level as far as, I, I guess that's all spiritual, but you know what I mean? As far as like just helping people understand things. This is going to be kind of a, a left field type book that um, people probably don't expect. I love it. I love it. But, um, and this is kind of weird. They're actually making a movie about it. But, you know, one of the things that helped me right away was Jeremy Kemp's autobiography because he lost a spouse. Mm. And I read that right after all that happened to me and uh, how he was able to stay the course and continue to go. And it was something that just personally for me, um, maybe because he was a young guy that lost a spouse, but I thought, you know, um, it's something that helped me tremendously. Um, I'm a big Eugene Peterson fan. Um, I've, I've always liked his books. He has a book that's not as popular as some of the other ones, but it's called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that idea, the book is good, but the idea helped me more than anything with timing, that what God has called us to is faithfulness, that in the end he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Mm. And that that my idea of ministry is the long obedience in the same direction. It's you know getting up and being willing to obey God every day and follow him. And that's something that's really, that idea has helped me just to, to stay the course, to be consistent, um, you know, and understand that I'm going to continue to go after him. And as I do that, um, it's, it's going to help me understand things. Um, and so anyway, I, I'm a big Mark Batterson fan. I love his books. We just went through, um, he did a recent book on blessings and uh, we've, and kind of understanding that, and I took our church through that last fall. And uh, so, anyway, just those kind of books have really been help, you know, been good, instrumental. Um, I know our executive pastor, uh, connections pastor. He there's some books about about uh, serving from a, the second seat. That idea, 
Um, and I encourage anybody out there, maybe you're not the lead pastor, but maybe you're serving on staff. And I believe that you can have as much influence as the senior pastor. You don't have to be in the lead chair yeah. and have as much influence. So anything like that, I encourage people, um, listen to podcasts, read books about that kind of stuff, because I think once again, your level of influence can be just as much um, as the senior pastor. That's great. So, Justin, you've been through a lot in your life, lead pastoring, involved in a lot of community, new baby. Yeah. What are some things that you've done or maybe you're currently doing to help keep you renewed spiritually and emotionally and health? Yeah. Um, you know, I think part of it is just, um, number one, being willing to get away, spend time with your family, being, being willing to have hobbies, um, whatever that is. I think everybody needs a time of recreation, a time of just relaxing. I think we have to have that. Um, I'm, a, once again, a very driven person, and so it's easy for me to say yes to things on my day off. And, um, you know, having a child, being more intentional about spending time at home. Last night we had kind of a family night, um, played games. I mean, my, my son's eight weeks old, so he's not really playing games, but me and my wife, this is kind of old school. We like playing cards, um, Yahtzee, that kind of stuff. There so it's just spending time together, you know, in the evenings, um, those kind of things. I think the biggest thing is just being intentional and carving out time for that and realizing that you have to rest, that you can't do everything. For me, you know, I've gone overseas and preached. When all this stuff began to happen to me, I got asked to go to, um, to Columbia with uh, the College Southwestern Christian, and they, they take sports teams over. And I went over and, and preached and went to Turkey and gave my story different places. Every time I came back, I realized the church was still going mm -hmm. without me. Um, they missed me. I missed them. But you know what? I was gone. I was gone a week, and the church survived. So, so part of it is just realizing it's okay as a pastor for you to take time off. It's okay for you to get away. The church is going to make it, um, and you're going to probably be better rested because of it. That's great, Justin. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for your time. Um, just so grateful for you and your ministry, what you're doing. Um, and just thanks for sharing your insights yeah. with us today. Well, thank you, man, for this opportunity. I, I love to be able to tell my story because I wanted to help people and, and do what I can. And I appreciate all you do. Um, man, I look to you for a lot of things with young leaders, especially. Uh, you're killing it with that. You're doing an amazing job just helping lead people and uh, all that you're doing. Um, I, I think it's you're, you're very beneficial to the body of Christ. I love how you're helping so many different churches. It's not just one denomination, one group. And so thank, thank you for all that you do. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, thank you for uh, joining us on this episode. We'll be with you guys again here soon.